Welcome to Pennsylvania Heroes. I'm Nick Yost. Last week, we started learning about Earl Granville, a decorated combat veteran from Northeast PA. He talked about joining the military, as well as his deployments to Bosnia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. This week, we pick up right where we left off, a fateful patrol in Afghanistan. The next thing I remember, I saw nothing but black. And the best way I could describe the sound I was hearing, you know when you put your head underwater, like it's a faint noise? Yeah. I don't know how else to explain it, but that's what I was hearing at the time. And I felt a momentum. And I remember saying to myself, what the fuck is going on right now? I'm saying this in my mind, you know what I mean? And I'm feeling a momentum. This is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm hearing. All of a sudden, open my eyes. Big blue sky. It's like 2.30 in the afternoon over there. Why am I on the ground? Holy shit. My feet are backwards and I'm full of blood. I'm trying to stand up. Obviously, that's not happening. To my left, the vehicle is completely destroyed. I mean, obviously... I just realized at that moment, we just hit an IED. All I wanted to do was assess the situation. All right, is anybody else hurt? Is, uh, you know, um, are we in an am- are we getting ambushed? Are we getting shot at? What exactly going on? I can't even defend myself at this moment. I don't even have a working weapon at the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, because I guess your rifle would have been in the vehicle. Right? The, the funny side note of that... They issued us not just M4s, but 9mm as well. Hmm. My 9mm, we had a little range at Fop Gardez. I would take it shooting, and it would always jam up. Right? All the time, man. No matter what I did, no how well I cleaned it. So, what I would do is, like, cock it back, pull the trigger. Cock it back, pull the trigger. Cock it, like, like, did you ever see those shooters like yeah. that? The westerns? That's what I felt like. So, I brought it to the armor on base, and we didn't really... I mean, this base was small, so they would have to send it to Bagram, okay. where they would repair it. They brought it back to me after like a week and a half. I got it back. Did the same thing. <laughs> and my mindset was, oh, fuck it, man. I ne- like, I'd rather my rifle anyway. Yeah. So all I have on me is this pistol, which I really don't see as something very efficient in the situation. I mean, I'd rather my rifle. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, I thought this is it. I'm going to bleed out. Like, just the way I looked, I was, I was going to die. That's how I assumed at that point, like, did you realize that you had lost part of your leg? I still had my leg at that moment. Oh, really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we were looking at my legs that day, and all my buddies said it, um, my right leg looked ten times worse than my left, and I'm going to get into that later. Um, so, Doc got to me, Doc Jones, Air Force medic, uh, Tech Sergeant Air L. Jones, he just passed away. Um, he had a stroke uh, last month, so rest in peace, dude. Guy saved my life. And, but anyway, he started working on me, and I said, Doc, how's everybody else doing? They're doing good. They're working on him. Um, they put me on a litter uh, before they moved me. They did pressure dressing, um, the wounds on my right leg. I was, you know, slowed the bleeding down, put a tourniquet on, slowed the bleeding down even more. They then carried me behind one of the MRAPs. And when they did that, they carried me right past two body bags. 
That was Major Scott Haggerty, the guy who took my seat that day. And Specialist Derek Holland of Wingap, Pennsylvania. Derek just turned 20 years old. Wow. Yeah. He was probably young. He was the youngest, I believe, in our uh, platoon. Um, so what can I say? I got lucky. You know, if, if I was carrying any other civil affairs officer, I'd be in the seat where I sit in every day. Right. But being in that gunner's hatch, not wearing my gunner's harness, saved my life. You know? And you see how the roof looked? Yeah, I would have been killed if I had to... If I was wearing that harness, but that's a whole other story. Um, Is that because you were you were ejected rather than held? Yep. And it was so bad that, like, um, man, I gotta tell you, it was just so gnarly looking the way how that vehicle looked. So the roof peeled back like a tuna can, and so imagine that if I had to stay in that blast. If that makes sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. It just initially, you know, I wish you guys could see this. Yeah, there's just nothing listen. left. There's yeah. no, there's no roof. There's no nothing. Mm-hmm. There's just really the frame at the bottom. Yep, and that's another photo right there. Wow. Right? And and for any of you guys out there listening to this, and you remember how heavy those doors were, you see way over there. That's how one of the how far one of those doors went. Wow, because those doors were what like at least a hundred pounds. Yeah, they're heavy. More. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, what can I say? I got lucky. That's the only way to put it. I'm here. I'm alive. Um. You know, obviously I wasn't thinking of that right away. You know, we waited for the medevac chopper to come in. They put me on that. They put the Afghan governor as well on the medevac chopper. And before we took off, we were we waited. And that we worked a lot with Afghan police, being that we have the governor with us. So we had his own escorts as well and their own separate vehicles. But he sat in the vehicle of Major Scott Haggerty, you know, as they talked. I guess they talked and stuff like that. So... This uh, police officer that I got on, there was nothing wrong with him or anything like that. Well, as we took off, I could see this this guy to the right of me, the governor. He was much old. I was 24 when this is going on, right? You know, and the governor, he looked so, like, much more worse than I did, his injuries. Um, and you could tell he's in pain. And he's laying to my right in his, in his litter, and I'm in mine. And all I could... I don't give a shit what your faith is. I don't care what you believe in. I just took my right hand and I squeezed his left. And he squeezed it back. In my moment, I thought, in humanity, let's hopefully we get out of this alive. Right. To me, that I mean, I don't give a shit what your faith is. you Because know? like I said before, we're, oh, don't trust these people. I'm like, I'm not going to think like that. Right. Well, yeah, he's not plotting against you in that moment. <laughs> exactly. You know, you know, I think we, we need humanity more than ever in this moment. You know, like, I don't want this guy to die. I don't want to die either, but, you know, let's hopefully we can both get out of this together. Right. I never know. I never knew if he did or not. I know he was alive for a few days. The time I left Afghanistan, he was still alive, but he looked pretty beat up. But anyway, while we're on that medevac chopper, all I wanted to do was look at my legs. Right. And I kept trying to like, like sit up and kind of get a view of what's going on here. My feet were almost 90 degree backwards. Like, were you in a ton of pain percent. at this time? or did They They did give me a shot of morphine. Yeah. It, it, it was starting to wear off. I said 90 degree. My, my feet were 180 degree backwards. Like It was It, it looked was like Charlie Brown. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to put it. Like, it looked pretty gnarly. You know what I mean? Like It was... Wow. And as I kept wanting to look up at my legs, I kept getting one of these. Right? And um, you know, I tried to sit up again and look. 
and I would get one of these. And eventually, I look back. I'm thinking it's the door gunner of the Blackhawk. And I look up. It's that Afghan police officer. Oh. And he look, we look at each other in the eye, and he just sits there, and he pets my head. Basically, like, just relax, dude. Just relax. You know, he doesn't say anything, but, you know, I look at him. He just shakes his head. And, you know, what did we talk about before? Humanity. And it's, it just opening my eyes a little bit on all this shit, you know? Made it to Bagram Air Base, main, one of the main U.S. hospitals in Afghanistan. They start doing x-rays on me immediately and assessing the situation. Doc says, we have to do surgery on your right hip immediately. And um, I was just like, Doc, do what you gotta do. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you expect me to say no? Uh, like, no, <laughs> let, no, let's go to freaking Chick-fil-A first. Yeah, we're gonna bite to eat. Like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Like, <laughs> like the way he said it, is that okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, look, my life's in your hands at this yeah, point. Exactly. Dude. Like, I'm not gonna ask for a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I thought it was funny. I busted his balls a little bit. Like, all right, man. Well, before we went to surgery, that um, at this point, I don't know if you remember, I'm Sergeant First Class. You wouldn't know, Mr. Sergeant First Class, Staff Sergeant in Bosnia, Harry Young. Mm-mm. No, he was mm-hmm. uh one of the two sergeants in uh Bosnia. He was actually at Bagram when this is happening so he's talking to me in my hospital bed about all this and as we're chatting um lo and behold before they took me out for surgery that Afghan police officer once again walked in my room and he walked in does this big smile on his smile on his face put his hand over his heart yeah I I do that all the time I'll never ever forget that and you know and that wasn't my first time seeing it over there but in that moment, doing that, that moment always stuck with me. I remember the first time I saw it, it was somebody, we were landing in the ECP in Afghanistan, with a carpenter on base. You know, always smiling, came in on his bike. Assalamu alaikum. So that was the first time I saw it, and I would do a back, wait salam, or yeah. I forget the phrase exactly, well, but yeah. wait well, salam, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, so I've seen it before, but, you know, now this guy's doing it, and probably, <laughs> by far the most vulnerable I've ever been in my entire life. And he started talking to me and he didn't even speak English, you know, but we all know body language. And then I thought, wow, man, this is, it just opened my eyes a lot about, you know, how the rest of the world hates us, but sometimes we hate a lot of the world just because of where they're from. Yeah. Let's be real here, man. Like, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of hate in your heart. I think sometimes in it, I'm looking at this, person he didn't have to do that he did not have to do that whatsoever you know what i mean coming in there greeting me doesn't even speak english but just seeing how i was doing like i said we all know body language here's a gentleman who just lived in this part of the world is part of this culture this is his faith because he was born there you know what i mean and it just like there's good people and bad people in every single culture and every single government and every single country and every single you, you get what i'm saying yeah. like and this is a good guy you know what i mean and it, it's like that sense of humanity it opened my eyes so much you know I went under for surgery on my right hip the next thing I remember I'm getting um, my breathing tube pulled out of my my uh, my mouth and I'm uh, kind of uh, <laughs> freaking out a little bit what the fuck what the fuck you know well the nurse pulls a breathing tube out and I calm down and she says hey we want you to know you're um you're at Launchstuhl Air Base in Ramstein, Germany. Wow. So I'm on a whole different continent at yeah. this point, you know. They moved you while you were out. Yeah. Well, wow. you know what? Now, looking back, 
when you know a year or two later when I see guys in the 109th I was actually like I guess I was awake like they gave me my purple heart um in Afghanistan command flew out there and I, I guess I was cracking jokes uh I don't remember any of it but wow. what I do remember or all I all I know I went under for surgery in Afghanistan I woke up out of surgery in Germany I was getting they woke me up from a surgery I don't remember any of it you know so it was kind of a mind fuck you know like what? wait where am I you know yeah exactly later on that day um doctor came in and said we think we could salvage your right leg but your left one we're gonna have to remove wow um they actually gave me an option if I kept it the reason why they were going to remove it internally, what we didn't see, those muscles were, this is how it was explained to me. Those muscles were so ruptured that um, it was letting off all this potassium, which was poisoning me, so that they pulled the muscle out. Wow. So now my muscle, my, my leg is just dangling. Uh, I learned about this, you know, I'm, I'm big in a CrossFit now, and we, we talk about rhabdo, like some of these ultra marathon runners, like when you're, putting your body through all this all this all this intense 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 work and you start pissing coca-cola color you have rhabdo oh wow yeah and um it was basically killing it was hitting my kidneys and it was killing me so they pulled the muscle out my leg was just dangling and the the doc said uh uh you know you want to keep it go for it if not you know do what you gotta do and I said, let's just get rid of it, you know, and go from there. Because I think just dangling there, what can I get out of that? So a few more surgeries in Germany. I got shipped back to the States, Walter Reed Army Medical Center in Washington, D.C. And this is going to be my home from now on. Well, while I was uh, about there for three days, my, my immediate family got the green light to come down. Okay. And I was still in ICU. So one by one, they would come visit me in the ICU. First my mom, then my dad, and then um, and eventually, uh, out of my siblings, there was Joe. Okay? And uh, I could say with confidence at this point, Nick, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm not letting this define who I am. And I'm trying to be optimistic about this. Like, okay, life is good. We're going to get through this. I'm going to figure it out, right? While I was uh, um, talking with Joe, Joe said at one point, I should have just gone with you. I should have just volunteered. <laughs> like, dude, like get that out of your head right now. Right. Man, you know? And no, even the humor and showing that I was in good spirits, like, don't think like that, man. I'm, I'm going to figure this out, right? Even the humor I was giving him was like, look, dude, I'm here. I'm alive. My junk didn't get blown off. I'm going to be all right, dude. Yeah. Like, you know. She's got an awesome story. Like, <laughs> like, like chicks dig scars, dude, exactly. you know? <laughs> so, you know, my time on Walter Reed, Nick, you think of it as a somber place. It's now two, summer of 2008. Um. The surge in the Iraq war happened a year prior. Uh, Afghanistan always picks up in the summer months with fighting and people getting wounded because that's when the winter, you know, the snow melts and they come out fighting. Weather's nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to freaking fight in the cold weather? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So it's just like um, Walter Reed was just this very, very uh, um, full of just... People might. I felt like we were the majority wow. to make it to make anything of it, but you think of it as like a somber place with uh, like everything I mentioned, and it uh, was a complete opposite. I feel like it's uh, one thing that never changed was that attitude of the ball busting of the military. So like the army and the marines are duking it out. What's a better branch? 
Nobody likes the Air Force still. Like it was. We're all just jealous of the Air Force. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's be real, dude. Yeah. Like I said, Doc Jones was Air Force, and I remember when I got in, I was like, I can't pick on you guys anymore. Yeah. Like this dude saved my life, but um, my mindset was like, you know, it's uh, looking back now, it's like how great and important that was in my recovery. I think because it's it's not like a bunch of fifty, sixty year old men and women that are patients. There's patients in their 20s and 30s right and i never realized how important that was in my recovery you know and i think any of the other guys could say the same thing guys and girls that were there um got my independence back started walking again life was good right took that medical while i well while i was there i learned how to snowboard again with a special prosthetic leg i was introduced into ice hockey uh sled hockey so it's like a disabled version of ice hockey Mm -hmm. see you know we're the USA team in the Paralympics, we were the only team to go back-to-back gold medals. But now we're back-to-back-to-back gold medals from the last Winter Olympics. But What's our wars? I mean, we have a pretty deep bench. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I tried out for the Paralympic team. Within five seconds of that first day, I was like, these guys are amazing. There's no way I'm making this team. But um, life was good. Medically retired. Moved back to Pennsylvania. Right? While... I was home, I got a, an apartment. I left my apartment in West Grand uh, just because it was three stories. And yeah. and I just thought, nah, this is a pain in the ass with the prosthetic. Right. Uh, one of the stories didn't have a handrail, so I'm like, ah. So I started dating somebody. We got an apartment in DuPont. She worked at a hospital, a regional hospital in Scranton. And every year, the higher staff, like the doctors, take out the lower staff. For at the end of the year for a nice black tie event like you know thank you for the awesome year guys and that we're getting ready for this event it's a week before Christmas in 2010 I get out of the shower I put my prosthetic on I put my suit pants on and just a t-shirt like get halfway dressed for this event I'm in front of the mirror I'm doing my hair and all of a sudden my phone rings I just keep doing my hair um, you know finish doing my hair wash my hands uh, wash a hair gel out of it. I go look at my phone. I see it's my mom. And then um, uh, I listed a voicemail and she says, you need to call me immediately. And she's very distraught on the other end. So I'm like, okay. So I give her a call. And I, um, when she picks up the phone, she says my name so ever somber. And she's like, Earl, I'm sorry. I'm like, mom, for what? Like, what the hell happened? Like, what are you apologizing for? She's like, Earl, Joe committed suicide. Nick, that was the worst day of my life. How could I get this second chance at a life and Joe take his away? I don't remember else what else was said on that conversation, but there's a few I love you's there. When I hung up that phone, I picked myself up off the ground. I walked five, ten steps into the kitchen and Every single ounce of alcohol I had, I poured it down the drain. Um, I grew up with an alcoholic, so, like, I know if I went that route right then and there, I was fucked. Part of my French. Next thing I did, I went to my computer and I deleted my social media. Like my, I think I just had Facebook at the time and I got rid of that. Because I didn't want to deal with the storm that was coming, but it's inevitable, man. Right. You're going to have to deal with it. So, that's exactly what happened. My phone is going off the hook. People are showing up at my house, my little apartment in DuPont. 
people are crying. I'd only pick up my phone for certain people. I'm like, holy shit, how could this happen? The next day I had to go to Joe's house. He had a house in a van link, Pennsylvania. There's his wife, there's his kids. Joe at the time was a he was a training NCO for Alpha Company. And so active duty job in the National Guard. Uh, before that he was a corrections officer at SCI Waymart. All some of his CO buddies were there, um, that he used to work with. Uh you can imagine just people coming in and out of the house and the energy it was. And Alright guys, so it's now Sunday the nineteenth. Tomorrow's Monday. Is somebody at the armory? Oh there is? Okay. I looked at my cousin Paul and my buddy Dave Rivera, who I grew up with, who was in Bravo Company in the one ninth. You guys want to go to the armory tomorrow? Okay, we'll do that. We went up to the armory. There, uh, Sergeant Peterson was already in the sense. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Very tall and maybe a passing. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, gave me a big hug. Gave his condolences. We walked over. Or he, um, we walked over. He got me a box. I took the box. I started putting stuff in Joe's desk, and um, all right, Sergeant Peterson. Well, Joe's on active duty. So the army's gonna pay for his funeral. Okay, let's start the paperwork right now. Boom, starting that. Hey, you go talk to supply. I want to make sure all of Joe's awards are up to date on his uniform. It's gonna be an open casket, and I want him buried in his dress blues. Right. You and you need to go with me down to uh, Paris Funeral Home. We're gonna start the logistics of working on the funeral. Um, Saint Rosalinda Church. That's where we're gonna have his funeral. Um, that's where he also got married. And I just started delegating all these tasks. Right. And I just kept myself going and busy, even though here I am prepping for my own twin brother's funeral. I'm just doing all the logistics to try to keep my mind off it, even though. I was going to say, is that, do you think that it's a, that was almost like a way to avoid like thinking about the, the reality or. I think definitely, oh, it definitely was. And I, you know, and we'll move on in a little bit and I'll tell you why it was definitely because doing all that. The day came of his funeral, I got my dress blues, and I give him that final salute in his casket, and that's that. Now what, Nick? You ever hear Idle Hands is the Devil? Because I got to tell you what, my mindset went right back to when I joined the military, making it about me. Hmm. But on a much heavier, self-destructive level. Please join us next week as we learn how Earl turned into a passionate veteran advocate as we conclude our series.